Well, hello guys. Welcome to the Elsa Kurt Show. I'm Elsa Kurt, and I've already forewarned my guest. I am geeking out over this guest. He's Blaine Pardo, and we're going to be talking about his books and a whole bunch more right after this. So I have to tell you right off the bat, Blaine, that I I did the the reader's uh, mistake and I didn't check with you first on the pronunciation of your last name. Did I kill it or did I do it right? No, it's okay, good. I just had that moment of panic where I went, wait a minute, I've only looked at it in print. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so anyhow. Too. How are you? Thank you for joining I'm, me today. I'm doing great. A little bit of a head cold today, but other than that, you know, it's not the COVID thing, so I'm happy. Yes. Anything other than that, right? Oh, I'm so tired. Are you tired of hearing that word? Like, I just want that word banished from our vocabulary. I mean, it's not ever you know, going to be. I'm tired of it being used as an excuse for a whole bunch of uh, misdeeds more than yes. I am of hearing the word. And I'm tired of people yeah. being afraid. Really tired of people being afraid. Yes. Absolutely. Same, same. I remember getting to a point just as, you know, sidetrack for a second. I remember getting to a point, you know, it, it was like two, three years, be, two years probably before I actually got it. And I got to the point where I was like, I wanted it. I'm like, let's, let's just get it done. Get it done already. I'm, I'm tired of it, you know? So, yeah. It, but yeah. You know, I'm tired of people walking around with masks and looking at you funny. If you sneeze in public, they're like, oh my God, that's the end of the world. You know, yes. it's going to take us generations to shake this fear at this point. You aren't kidding, man. And I, and I agree with you. I'm so stunned at how many people are still walking around with the masks. And, and I struggled all along because all, for the entire time, I've been going back and forth between, uh, I'm in Connecticut, to Florida uh, practically every month. And, um, you know, in Florida, they were not doing this. They were not acting crazy. You know, they were just living life. And every time I would come back home, you know, everybody was ultra mask, wearing surgical gloves and, you know, just craziness. And and I, I could not mentally adjust to the madness of it all. Well, and that's that's part of what I get to capture in the book is, you know, where COVID took us. You know, it started with a virus and ended with a coup. Yeah. Oof. All right. So, so now even I did so many segues here into other things, but l let me just restart here by, by reading this off. Okay. You are an award-winning New York times bestselling author of numerous, and I mean numerous, like you have to go to the website and see just how many, uh, science fiction, military history, true crime, horror, and business leadership books. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more articles and uh, it's beyond words to me how much you've accomplished in this lane. Um, it, actually in all of the lanes that you're in, it's just incredible. Now you have a, a brand new release out. It's the third book in your Blue Dawn series and it's called Confederacy of Fear and it released on January 24th. So first, congratulations on that release. Always exciting Thanks. when a book baby's born. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I'm still waiting for my author copies to show up. So it's it's one of those things. And most people don't always think we get our books first. We're the last people as authors to get our books, you know. But That's uh, so true. <laughs> yeah. I love oh. it. It's a lot of fun. 
It's so, so cool. It's such a great feeling, all of it. Now, let's uh, let's kind of like work backwards a little bit here. It's uh, right currently, it's a three book series. This is this is the third book. I don't know. Is there going to be more after this or is that? I is just, just finished writing book five. It should go to about 10 in the series. And then there's going to be some supplemental stories that get told. So it, it's a wow. it's a big set of character arcs. And it really covers the second American civil war that takes place after the progressives overthrow the government. And it's, mm. so it's, it's really kind of a alternate history book, but at the same time, it's based on everything that the progressives say and do. I mean, I get my best research material out of watching CNN when I'm at the gym in the morning. Um, they literally feed me lines that I'm able to use in the book. It, it's crazy. I believe it. I don't doubt that for a second. It probably in, in some ways writes itself, right? Like you're just transcribing the insanity. <laughs> they make it so simple and, and they actually provide me some of the characters in the book. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, and very veiled, There's veiled re references to who some of these characters are. And, and the main villain is really patterned after AOC, uh, which is just I a blast to do. Um, yes. I, Someone asked me what, you know, they said, how would you describe the series? I said, well, on page six of Blue Dawn, I killed Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, take it for what you want, but get that in six, <laughs> on page six. So it goes downhill from there. Um, but it's, it's a real, it's a real interesting ride in this series. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to take a guess that the liberals are loving, the progressives are loving the, these books and you. No, they hate me. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's okay. I, I really don't, you know, I'm, I'm not writing for popularity. I'm writing because I have great stories that I want to tell and, and mm -hmm. some real fun characters to write about. Um, the fact is, it should spawn a lot of conversation. It should spawn some debate. It should have people going, well, no, that couldn't happen here. Uh, you know, the, the best compliment I've gotten from people when they read Confederacy or, or a Most on Civil War or Blue Dawn, you know, any one of them, they go, I read the book and I was pissed off. And at the same time, I realized it was deadly accurate, you know, like, mm. and that makes you go, okay, I know I'm hitting the mark here because I'm really just amplifying the messages that are coming out of the Washington, D.C. area right now. And it's it's really designed to kind of captivate and make you think about what they're talking about and, and how far would they go if they got everything they wanted. If you gave, if they executed a coup, how far would they go to preserve their power and, and to change the nature of our nation as we know it? Mm, and yeah, and if you know anything at all, if you've been tracking, you know, history and, and if just just starting from the 70s uh, with that progressive movement to where we're at today, I mean, uh, really, at this point, I feel like anything is believable, like anything is is possible because things that I would have said 20 years ago, my God, even 10 years ago, if you had told me to, that would be happening today, I would say you're out of your mind. That's that could never happen here, not in America, you know, and, and here we are, <laughs> here well, we you know, are. I, I wrote them in the book. I, I have this thing that they implement called the truth reconciliation committee, which is a committee that determines what is misinformation and censors it. And it's run by the government. Now I wrote that <clears throat> two years ago. 
And it was wow. in the second of the books. Here comes Joe Biden with his misinformation governance board. And I'm like, I, you know, people tell me you can't, you know, none of this stuff can come to pass. And I'm like, are you kidding? They're literally right. looking at my book and using it like a blueprint in some respects. Mm -hmm. It totally can happen here. And what we've seen with the Twitter files and all this other stuff of government involvement with censorship of conservatives and, and conservative voices and voices just of reason uh, really do point to that. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's just incredible. And, and your jaw must have just dropped when, you know, you essentially saw the equivalent of lines from your book come to life uh, in real life. And it, that that feeling had to have been in some ways awful. Right. Like it's it not is. something you don't want to come true. Uh, but there it was. Wow. Well, even even this last weekend, I have in the book that they've nationalized all the police forces. And we heard that after this terrible incident in Memphis, that that was something that was being floated around, was the nationalization of the police forces. Obama floated it around during his administration. Yes. And, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm taking no. what they say and making you, as a reader, see what that's going to look like. And, and I think yes. you can't do that unless you do it fictionally. If you, if I wrote this up as nonfiction and said this is what it would look like, people would argue about it, people would debate it, etc. But when you tell it as a fictional story, it makes it very real, and it makes it very tangible for the reader to, to go, "Oh my God, I'm I'm a little bit afraid of where this is going." Mm. You know, that's a, a great way of putting it and a great way of of doing that of driving that message across and and as soon as you said it my brain just kind of whoa you're so right you know because we already know the minute you say anything that goes against the narrative you're a conspiracy theorist you know and of course we we know how many of these conspiracies uh are not conspiracies they are fact and you know now we're finding out after the fact, or they're finding out after the fact, well, dangerously after the fact. And they're like, oh, well, I guess that was true. Whoops, my bad. Uh, this is a palatable way for them to at least entertain some possibilities, some some realities. And, and I think that I think you hit it right on the head. This is the way um, to do it, because they'll argue anything else that comes at them in a nonfiction way, <laughs> right? Well, for every, you know, and, and I've said this as a joke, but it's the truth. For every fact that's out there, there's three counter facts. Mm. Um, we don't live in an era any longer. When I was a kid, you could turn on the news, watch Walter Cronkite, and that was the news. It was a fact. You didn't debate it. It was, this is tangible. It's real. That's what it is. Walter Cronkite couldn't survive today as a journalist, because if he came out and said the sky is blue, there'd be three people saying not only is it not blue, it's red, it's purple, and the world is flat. You know, they would go down all of the rabbit holes to the point where, you know, a real journalism just gets lost. And I think that's right. part of the price we've had to pay uh, in recent years for the Internet and for the connectivity that everybody has. Yeah, that's so, so true. Yeah, poor, uh, poor uh, Walter Cronkite would have been canceled at this point, right? Yeah. Just canceled yeah. for having the audacity, right? Well, he wouldn't be on the air because he's a white male. And you know, there's, there's this war on 
you know, guys like me who are pale, male, and stale, they, they kind of go through and nuke us, you know, real quick and say, those guys can't be out there anymore. And I, I, I you know, it, it's kind of embarrassingly funny. I laugh about it, but it's, there's an air of truth to that. And it's also true in the publishing industry. If yes. you try to go to a mainstream publisher anymore and you're not a female, lesbian, trans, whatever, you mm -hmm. know, who, who's of some sort of an oppressed class, you know, it doesn't matter what the actual quality of your content is or your book, you're not going to get right. published. You know, I'm glad you said that because I was wondering about that almost immediately when I saw the the whole copy of what the book was uh, or books are about. And um, did you face now you're you're a multi published author and you, your your work stands on its own. Um, but did you get pushback for for the types of books that you're writing? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is when they announced Blue Dawn and I'm talking they announced it, the book wasn't out. Mm. I am. I had an online stalker who threatened my life, and I had to go get a protective order against this person. This person continued to harass me and harangue me, made other threats to me, veiled and otherwise. Law enforcement got involved. Um, you know, it, it got messy, and that person eventually convinced a publisher who I'd been writing for for 37 years writing science fiction to essentially delist me and no longer publish my work. They canceled seven contracts with me um, wow. going forward. And it was simply, you know, the impetus for all of this was, you know, when I first published the Blue Dawn books, but, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to back down from stuff like that. I'm not going to apologize for my political views. I'm not going to compromise my values. Um, you know, I am who I am. I'm not ashamed of what I believe in any way, shape or form. And I'm just going to go out and be successful. And, and I found, you know, the, the Blue Dawn series and I just started a new series. It went to number one in its category and bestseller on Amazon. So, you know, this cancel culture really doesn't have the teeth that everyone thinks it does, but they generate a lot of fear. And mm -hmm. uh, hence the title of this book, you know, it, it, you really get to that, that root cause of this. They market fear, they peddle fear, and they use fear. Um, you know, I, I don't mind the fact that I got canceled. I think in many mm -hmm. respects, I'm making more money now, reaching a broader audience, selling more books and writing about the things I want to write about. Uh, now, Normal publishers never would have picked up this Blue Dawn series. Defiance Press is a publisher that focuses on conservative voices. They immediately picked it up when I went to them, and they have been incredibly supportive all throughout this. I mean, they, they recognize that conservatives need a, a channel to be able to get out as well. So right. it's great to be able to do it, and I'm happy that it's been so successful. That's amazing. And, and just so incredible. And, you know, you said a couple of everything you said, actually, I, I'm like nodding my head so hard, it's going to break off. Um, but uh, that they, they, you said they don't have the teeth that they think they do, and the fear tactics. And that is so incredibly true. Because when you look at things, just as simple as sales and popularity and, and charts and numbers where where conservative voices are actually sitting with the people. And that includes things like um, Netflix and, and what things are actually popular and number one. You know, it's not this radical, uh, progressive nonsense that is 
hitting those number one spots. It's the it's the voices of sanity really that are, yeah. you know, so the, the people are not, um, they're not embracing the lunacy. They just want us to think that the lunacy is, is what is the, the norm, you know, so to speak. And, uh, and I think that's such an important realization to come to for people who are quiet, people who are either conservative or Republican or just moderate, just neutral and afraid to say anything at all uh, because of these big mouths, they need to realize that they they are not the majority. And and I think everything that you just said is further proof of that. You know, it's funny though, they drive people who are conservative into quiet, into silence. Mm. And this is about censorship. You know, the old model used to be, look, I don't like your politics. I'm not gonna buy your book. The, co- the cancel culture crowd goes, I don't like your politics. Your, your book can't be published and you can't publish anything going forward because no one can read your book. And, right. and it, it, it's a weird twist on, on logic and thinking and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. It was amazing to me when I got targeted um, you know, by this. I don't consider myself a victim of the cancel culture. I was more targeted by the cancel mm-hmm. culture. And uh, what really has been interesting about it is the number of people who reached out to me directly. I have over a hundred emails from fans of mine who are like, I'm not going to post anything online about this, but I fully support you. You know, I, you know, you've been writing books since I was a little kid, which made me feel old, but you know, (laughs) people that really supported me, but they were essentially not going to post that online because the woke crowd was going after them because they were supporting me, you know, and if you, right. if you said, well, like I, I support what Blaine Pardo is doing, you became just as bad as what they were trying to paint me as. And it's right. crazy. It's absolutely insane. I, I so agree with you and I've experienced it too. You know, I've had the same type of thing. I've always been uh, for as long as I've been with my husband, he's a police officer and I'm a big mouth. I've been very vocal of my support of the, you know, the good men and women behind the badges and uh, my support of military and my love for this country. And I have never been quiet about it. And um, my my husband was actually a little concerned for me because, you know, he said, well, you know, you're trying you're writing books and you're trying to establish a presence and grow your platform and you're going to drive people away. And I said, I don't actually care. I don't want those people. They're not my people. So they can I don't care, you know, and uh, but same type of thing. I would get so many um, private messages from people who would say, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. It's great. I'm right with you, but I can't say anything. I can't say anything on my page because my, my cousin, my friend, my so-and-so people will get mad at me and I just can't. And I used to say, that's okay. I totally understand. You know, no, don't worry. I don't want you to have that kind of burden on you. I can take it. We're good. And I, I, I've left that mindset because now it's like, well, look what happens because here's, here's where we're at, you know, because people are afraid to stand up and speak up and we're actually, there's more of us than of them. And uh, so now, now I'm not quite as forgiving when people say, I can't say anything. And uh, you know, I don't bully them. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not a progressive. I'm not a liberal. I'm not going to bully them, but I encourage them kindly to speak up. (laughs) Well, you know, I feel the same way. I feel bad that people are intimidated by 
people who are just loud voices on the internet. And what I found with the woke, when you look at them, they don't contribute to society. They don't create. Most of them have meaningless jobs that, you know, they, they don't, they're not big contributors to anything. The only place they have any consequences when they get on Twitter or Facebook and bash somebody. Mm -hmm. And so all they have is their negativity. All they have is their hate. All they have is their vitriol. And that's it. That's their entire existence. And they love being engaged, et cetera, and and recognized as Mm -hmm. I'm this social justice warrior. I'm out here after these horrible people. I'm going to crush them and defeat them. And I found the best revenge was to just go out and be damn successful. Go out, write books, sell them, and and make people happy. And And write them into the books. Now you've become a character in my book, (laughs) right? A little bit. Yeah, I try not to give them that much credibility, but believe me, there there are a few subtle jabs now and then. Uh, You know, it's amazing to me that how these people operate and and what they think and their mindset is so twisted and so dark. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it was fueled when we were locked up with COVID. We told everybody, stay at home, be on the Internet, don't go out, Mm -hmm. you know, and it made things worse, much worse. When did you start? uh, It's kind of related. When did you start writing this specific series? When was the first book written? Was started, it not during COVID? I actually, no, no, no. I actually started it in 2019. Oh, wow. um, okay. The book was done, in, and I made one change in 2020, because originally in the first few chapters, I had uh, Trump winning the election, and that's what triggered the overthrow of the government. And okay. the minute the Democrats said they suddenly flipped their position and were in fa- all in favor of mail-in voting, I said, okay, the fix is in. So mm. Trump isn't going to win. And so mm-hmm. I went, I had to make that one change as a result of, and it was before the election took place, but I said, I, I can see the handwriting on the wall. That's not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I had the book, the first book written then, and the books have been coming out regularly. Like I said, I've just finished book five uh, this week, actually. It's so amazing. I'm having a blast with it. I, to me, it's just fun to do. I love it. Let me write or geek out on you. How long does it take you to write a book average? Typically? Okay. Well, and I'm talking a book around 124,000 words. Okay. Because, okay. and everybody thinks writers think about pages, but everybody uses different margins, different fonts. It doesn't work. Right. Uh, Word count. 124,000 words. The last book I wrote that was 124,000 words, I, it took me eight weeks to get to first draft. Okay. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I started a book today, actually. I just started work on a book. I've already gotten 1,500 words done. So, yeah. That's it's, fantastic. It's fun. I, I like it. it. It keeps my brain functional. And uh, I don't feel right if I'm not, if I don't write something during the day. I'm, I'm not. It's just like, a, it's like if you exercise every day. I exercise six days a week, you know, and if I don't, mm-hmm. If I don't go, 
for some reason, it, it's like it throws me off all day that I'm not, I haven't done that. So it's just a muscle you operate with. Right. So how do you do with yours? How, how, what's your product? product yeah. So, so I, I am nowhere near as prolific as you are, um, but uh, same system. I, I do the, you know, when I first started, I, I just would write whenever the mood hit me. And then I started reading about what the pros do and that they treat it like a job, you know, and you sit down and you, essentially clock in and this is your writing time and routine and all that stuff. And yeah. So when I'm, when I'm writing, when I'm on fire, I can, I can, I have done a book in eight weeks, but I don't typically, I typically give myself about four months. If when I commit, I'll, it'll take four months, but uh, yeah. So I love it. I love hearing uh, your process is just, it, it's like literally if you could call it a perfect process, I would call it a perfect process. That's the way like, you could teach it. Do you teach it? Do you teach any writing type stuff or, or you're too busy writing? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, one, I'm too busy writing. And uh, two, could you imagine me applying for a job at a local college? Um, you know, <laughs> Good the point. first thing they would do is pull up my op-eds and stuff that I've written that are conservative and go, oh my God, you know, we'd never hire this guy. Regardless of my credentials, they, they would never bring me in. Um, yeah, no, I don't point. teach. I'd love to, and I really wanted to. I retired early uh, three years ago from Ernst & Young, where I worked. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been writing ever since. It was the plan. Um, wow. But I, I would love to have done teaching, but I just realized that I'm not going to be able to get in at a college or university level to be able to do that. They're just not going to – they don't want dissenting opinions in there. Right. Or they don't want somebody that the student body is going to react to. True. Yes, very true. Very true. Oh, that's too bad. They're missing out on an absolute gem. What a what a loss for them, boy. Um, so so tell me, and I'm looking. I'm just looking at the time, and I'm so angry that our time is dwindling here. I could go on and on with you. Um, tell everyone first where they can find your books, where they can find you and your books, all of your work. Look, I'm out there. Um, I'm on social media. You can get me on Facebook. I'm bparto870 on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm on all the major social media stuff. You can get my books. The best place is Amazon. I'm not a big fan of big tech, but I also am dealing with the realities of the situation. And, uh, you know, you can get my books there. You know, just look my name up. You'll see the body of work that I have. And, you know, there's something there I'm sure that will appeal to you. Uh, no matter what your your fan base happens to be. Oh, yeah. The catalog is just exceptional. It's just huge. I stopped counting at like 60 different things. <laughs> the long line. Yeah, like, I, okay, okay, I've got an idea now. <laughs> Juan and I were talking before the show, and I'm like, I know it's up in the 90s at this point, and I just I stopped counting around the 50 mark because, <laughs> you know, it just – it becomes an ego thing at that point. It's like, yeah, I'm just writing books at this point. I've had two out this month um, and mm -hmm. I've got one coming out in two weeks. So <laughs> it just, it's a machine. You have a, I, now this is, this is probably like the worst question to ask you. And I'm going to ask you anyway, do you have a favorite? Is it even possible to have a favorite at this point? No, I, it depends on the mood I'm in. Depends on what yeah. I like the most. Um, certain books have a certain appeal to me. There are certain characters I love mm. and they're my favorite characters. It's not so much that the books there, but 
you know, and I always tell my wife, I, I have better relationships probably with my fictional characters than I do my actual friends, you know. I, so relatable. One of my neighbors walked up to me in the gym the other day and he goes, Blaine, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, I know who you are, but I don't know. I can't remember your name. And he goes, I'm Walter. I live three doors down. And I'm like, oh, crap. You know, and I said, look, I've, it's been, I've been dealing with fictional people. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that is so relatable. It hurts. <laughs> all right. Now I'm going to ask you too. Like, I'm like trying to throw them all in really quick. Um, which would you want to see turned into a movie or series? Personally, if oh, I had my pick, oh. I would say this Blue Dawn. Blue Dawn Blue should Dawn. be a series. I think Blue Dawn yeah. would be an awesome series to do. Yes. Um, you know, it's got to find the right channel. I think something right. like Daily Wire or somebody could pick it up and do a series on it. And I think it would really yes. resonate. Daily I Wire, find it hard pay to attention. Believe. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. I don't think that would ever fly with like HBO or anything like that. You know, it's right. got to be something that, that addresses the conservative need. I agree. I agree. And last thing I want to ask you about is I saw that you and your daughter have a podcast, a true crime podcast. It's called uh, Tantamount. Yep. And I'm assuming yeah. it's based on your book, Pursuit of the Freeway Phantom Serial Killer. Tell me how that came yeah. about. That is so cool. Well, my daughter and I are the only father-daughter duo writing true crime. Um, that's so cool. We have a blast doing it. We both like reading true crime. And so we pick a case and dig into it. We've done uh, the Colonial Parkway murders. We like doing cult cases. We occasionally will slip in a closed case. And that's the next one we're working on uh, is a closed case, but it's got some twists and turns with it. And so it's just fun. Uh, the freeway that's phantom so stuff cool. was, just, we decided we had to try a podcast. It, it's just it's her and I having some fun together, father daughter wise. You know, I holler out to I holler out to murder scenes. It's gross. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. What a cool, what a cool, fun, unique bonding time for father daughter. I think that's like beyond awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's oh. a lot of fun. My son, my son's very successful on his own too, but she likes doing the writing. That is so cool. So cool. Um, Blaine, I feel like I could not possibly get enough time with you to hear about everything that you've got going on. Um, we will suffice with sending everybody to your website, to Amazon, to check you out. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show with me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elsa. Absolutely. All right, guys, this has been the Elsa Kurt show. That was Blaine Pardo. He is a multi, multi published author, uh, New York Times bestselling author. Go check him out. Thanks for watching the show. We'll see you next time. Oh, what is wrong with you? Sorry, I thought I canceled this subscription and I still have it. I really need to figure out how to handle my finances better. Yeah, no, I used to have the same problem. I just use hiatus. Hiatus? Uh, it's super easy. I'll explain it to you. Just no more of those weird growly sounds, please. Download the app. You'll be able to see all your subscriptions and cancel the ones that you don't need or want. See which of your monthly bills are negotiable and Hiatus will negotiate for you. And you'll be able to set up a custom budget. Hey, family, if you're looking for the perfect gift for the reader in your life, why not check out one of my books? They're all available on Amazon and most major online book retailers, as well as elsacurt.com.